Each episode, we'll be delving into a different theme. For Black History Month, we looked into the history of the venue where our studio is based. Listen in as we uncover the story of Len Johnson, who wrote the Colour Bar in 1953. Len Johnson was a black British boxer and political activist from Manchester, who in 1933 ordered a round of drinks for himself and his friends at the Old Abbey Tap House, now home of Steam Radio. When he was refused service, he launched a campaign and over the following days gathered more than 200 people, black and white, to demonstrate outside the pub. This led to the ban being overturned and the victory inspired others to challenge the colour bar policies in place across the country at the time. On October 7th, 2020, the Old Abbey Tap House hosted the first Drink for Len Johnson, an event aiming to uplift a story that isn't as well known here as it should be. This radio special will feature recordings of the speakers from that evening, including the Old Abbey's landlady Rachel, historian Jeff Brown, boxer Lamentore, and anti-racist campaigner Deej Malik Johnson, who has started a petition calling for a statue of Len to be installed in Manchester. You can find the petition online at change.org forward slash Len Johnson. Later on, we'll also be featuring an interview with Deej, so please grab your beverage of choice and join us for a drink for Len Johnson. Hi, my name's Rachel. I am technically the landlady of this amazing pub. Uh, but more than anything, and, and what everyone who works here feels, is that we're also the custodians, custodians of this pub and all its memories and its stories. Um, and from the day we opened, that's what I love the most about this place, is hearing everyone's stories and the memories and over the years, they've been fleshed out to meeting the people's families and meeting people's relatives and hearing their stories. Um, and there is a battle to keep this pub. There always is a battle to keep this pub. Uh, but that is what keeps us going, hearing everyone's stories and memories. And I just want to thank Jeff and Sheeran for finding out about this story and for the family, the Johnson family, that still come down to this pub today um, because you are part of the fabric of this pub. So I'm going to pass on to Jeff now. Thanks, Rachel. Rachel is much, much more than a landlady. She's a fantastic activist, a real fighter, a fantastic anti-racist, you know, somebody who fights, talks truth to power. We must, um, and she'll come back at the end as well. Now, I, I, she, she tells the story correctly. I, about two years ago, Shirin Hirsch, uh, who we should congratulate having produced Maya, who's sitting there all of two months old, uh, uh, came into this pub to, and we got the most fantastic welcome from Shirin, uh, from, from, from Rachel, as Shirin and I told her the story, which is actually on the board there. We put a couple of photographs up there. The first photograph is of Len Johnson, um, and the second is of a man called Wilf Charles. Now, both of them were active members of the Communist Party. This is October 1953, uh, the middle of the Cold War, and uh, they've been anti-racist activists in this city for quite some time. They actually founded uh, just off Denmark Street, uh, the New International Club, which was an amazing club, which actually did things like invited Paul Robeson to come and sing in the city, and he sang to thousands of people uh, in 1949. And the point about this club was it was a club which was designed to fight racism. It was designed to actually organize from below people on the ground. At that time, mainly black seafarers. The West Indian community was just beginning to take off, but it was mainly still seafarers. A uh, number of people who had been West Indian servicemen should be included, though. And they basically had been active for a few years. And 
for reasons which we should go into later, that the club had closed in 1950, but Len and Wilf had kept the faith uh, and came into this pub in October 1953. And Len, who was six foot tall, um, uh, asked to be uh, served a pint. Len was a lifelong teetotaler, it should be remembered. You know, this was a clearly political decision and they'd done it in a way which is in my opinion very carefully organized because they immediately having been refused as i think they expected to be refused wrote an article for the daily worker the communist party newspaper of the time which is i've copied up on the board there len was uh, the secretary of the Mossai communist party a very big organization at the time hundreds of members uh, and uh, he was a scaffolder by trade uh, uh, and he he and and len had organized this campaign which followed the refusal to be ser to serve Len by going up to the town hall and getting the, the big names, the mayor and the secretary of the Trades Council, Horace Newbold, and various other names to sign up uh, in support of the campaign. But more importantly, in my opinion, or equally importantly, they actually went around this area and got uh, hundreds, well, I don't know hundreds, they got a large number of people to come down with them when two days later they returned to the pub and surprise, surprise, at that point the landlord decided to serve them and the colour bar was broken. It was a great moment and mm. the point was that this, the colour bar had to be broken that way. It was battle by battle by battle. It didn't just all happen all uh, overnight. People organised determined not to allow racism to dictate who amongst, them, amongst themselves or their friends should or shouldn't be able to, to drink or to dance or to spend the night somewhere. These were things that had to be, had to be fought. Uh, and you know, we stand on the shoulders of those people who've gone, gone before them. And in this year of Black Lives Matter, we, we need to reach back to our history. Uh, I'll just say two more things. One is that, that Len was part of the... Um, the Congress that took place in this city s exactly 75 years ago, the Pan African, the Fifth Pan African Congress, which had at its attending Kwame Nkrumah, who becomes the uh, the leader of the Ghanaian independence movement, Yomo Kenyatta, who becomes leader of the Kenya independence movement, uh, Hastings Banda, who's the first president of, of what's now Malawi, uh, and they at this conference declared that they were going to lead the liberation of Africa. Uh, and within 15 years, they'd actually achieved that. The most astonishing. But you know, no, you know, the, the amount of publicity of this conference was tiny, but they had 100 delegates. And Len, who wasn't a delegate, he was an observer. The Communist Party had a rather strange relationship to the con Congress. Uh, nevertheless, you know, th they were all there, and they set off from this city. And it's a fantastic tribute, actually, to this city that, or particularly the people who were organized, the black community of this city, that they were able to actually host this community, uh, this, this conference. There was the Manchester Negro Association, led by a man called Peter Milliard, who was a G general a GP in uh, Lower Broad in Salford, and others who actually organized to make sure that this congress could take place in this city. At a time when the color bar was the norm, you know, if you were black, didn't th don't think about going dancing or anything like that. That was just, the, 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 the word would, the answer would just be no. So uh, that's uh, an important side to, 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 to Len, and I do feel that we need to celebrate today the breaking of the color bar, but we also need to remember the, the 75th anniversary of the Pan-African Congress. And this year of Black Lives Matter, I think that these are things which give us the confidence that if they could fight in the hostile environment 
1945 and 1953 than we can fight in the hostile environment of, of 2020. You know, it should give us the confidence to go forwards. So, okay, I'm going to finish there. I'm just going to ask anybody else. I know there are various people who are in the room who've got bits to contribute. I, is anybody going to break the ice? Deej, please. Back in 2016, I was filled with the energy of being one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement in Manchester. We'd held a historic rally and marched with upwards of 5,000 people from Alexandra Park in Moss Side to Manchester Town Hall. We demanded justice and equality and for, for black lives here in America and throughout the world. I was moved and taken by this movement. It felt as if there was as if for the first time, the city centre, which for too long and too often had been a place of intimidation and police stalking of young black men, was finally ours. As we chanted, no justice, no peace. Black lives matter and black power. We felt like we were riding the wave of our forebears and laying a path for our children. Not long after, I was speaking to my friend Marcus we were talking about the movement and its historical context. My parents had fought the National Front in the 70s and 80s, but knowing Manchester's black history being both long and largely forgotten, I asked Marcus if he knew of anything which had been here before. It was that day where I first heard the name Len Johnson. My mind was blown by the idea of 10,000 10, strong black-led rally for racial justice happening in Manchester in the 1940s. A man who was born down the road from my daughter's school, who had done so much for the community, had made such an impact but whose name that should be so familiar, most of us had never heard of. In the intervening years, myself, my friends, campaigners, here and across the world, through the NUS Black Students Campaign, the National Education Union and the UCU, amongst many, many others, had fought to decolonize our institutions to promote the truth that black, disabled, LGBTQ plus people, women and the working class have always been dynamic agents of progress. Friends, we have not yet won. But as any boxer will tell you, you don't train expecting a knockout in the first few rounds. And sometimes it is necessary to have a rematch after rematch after rematch. But even now, when faced with a regressive government and a Twitter artsy which decries even the most mild expression of racial equality, our ideas have taken hold. A discussion is now less, do we need Black History Month and more, Shouldn't this be covered in all of our curriculum, in all of our history? Earlier this year, we witnessed the brutal, the brutal eight minutes and 46 seconds where our brother, a father, a partner and a friend had his life, fo his, had his life force extinguished by an unrepentant actor for the state. They killed George Floyd. They killed Breonna Taylor. They killed Ahmed Aubrey. They killed Belly Majinga. But friends, they resurrected a movement. They resuscitated the movement. They triggered marches and rallies throughout the world. 
discussions which were, were held in places where they'd never had before. And we looked upon our cities. We saw slavers in stone, imperialists immortalized and whitewashers worshiped. And friends, we were disgusted. Rebels in Bristol, in Virginia, in Cape Town and Belgium tore down some of these monuments. And as many of our ancestors were consigned to the bottom of the Atlantic, Colston's statue met a very similar watery end, and the Lord saw it and he saw that it was good. But as we challenge the mythologizing of a false history, we are left bereft of the symbols of our own. Where are our black heroes? Where are our working class fighters? Where are our women warriors? Where is our history? It was with this thought that we created the Len Johnson Memorial Campaign to immortalize a man who should never have been forgotten again and to maybe be a part of, of a balance to say that Vimto can be venerated whilst Mancunian people of color have no such tribute, that cannot be right. We have now had over a thousand signatures. The leader of the Manchester City Council has expressed support. Greater Manchester's mayor has expressed support. The BBC had a story on their front page of their website about our Len. There is momentum here. And despite what the naysayers may say, this is not a moment. This is a movement. And we will not stop until every Mancunian who knows the name Martin Luther King can tell you all about our Len Johnson. And with solidarity, thank you. A difficult one to follow. Would anybody like to, before I start naming people? Yeah, I'm literally going to freestyle and I'm not going to repeat after, um, you know, what Deja said. It's, um, you know, I've grown up in boxing gyms since I was eight years old. I'm from South Manchester, a mixed race. You know, my dad's West African. You know, Len would have looked like me. Um, so when I came across Len's story, I was so moved by it that I just, I was angry that I'd never heard of him before. But I'm so, so grateful that I know who he is now. And this campaign is gonna continue to grow and he's gonna get the recognition he needs. Um, I think, you know, like I said, Muhammad Ali, you know, he's been an idol of mine for as long as I can remember. That was until I heard of Len Johnson. Peace. Um, I was one of the founders in Manchester in 1979 of something called WFA or the Workers' Film Association. Some people may know a place that used to exist on Lucy Street, an old warehouse, and we use that as a venue for many events and names of members of Manchester's black community. Kath Locke, for example, did a lot of work with us there. Hartley Hanley, who used to do the Hideaway uh, Youth Center. Gus John were frequently collaborators with people at WFA. And in 1987, it, there was a very interesting theater group in Manchester called Frontline Education. And Frontline, the, their method of working was they would go into a community group or a youth group, and they'd, they would talk about history or, or issues that were important to people in the youth group. And one of the issues that came up was the life of Len Johnson. And as various contributors have said, a lot of people didn't know about the life of Len Johnson. So they did a play, which is called Struggle for Freedom. This is a, you know, a remaining poster from 33 years ago, or a little flyer at the time. 
and we filmed it. Um, and as far as I know, there should be a digitized copy of Struggle for Freedom in the Northwest Film Archive, which is based at the Central Reference Library in town, and you should be able to go in there. They took all of the WFA's material and got a grant from the BFI, and that's all been digitized. So you should, I believe, be able to go in there into what they call the little pods and search Len Johnson or Struggle for Freedom, and you should be able to watch that. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. I don't know. You probably know the story of, of the what are called the boxing booths. And, and Len Johnson used to have a boxing booth. And my son Frankie, who's one of the, um, I don't know, he's one of the directors here or whatever, serving you drinks. Um, his granddad, Sandy, used to go down and box in the boxing booths. And basically had the boxing, and Len Johnson had a boxing booth. So I don't know if Sandy... It wasn't his, his booth, but the way the boxing booths basically would work, there'd be a semi-professional boxer. He'd be set up in, in uh, and this was in uh, Ardwick, and, and no, in Bellevue. And what would happen is that if you wanted to go around with a semi-professional boxer, if you got through the first round, you might get 10 bob or you know, 50p or something for surviving the first round. If you got the second round, you might get you know, a, a pound or whatever it happened to be. So Sandy would tell the story that he'd go down there and he would regularly box to try to make, you know, you know, a bit of coppers or whatever. And um, the interesting thing is that he would go down, he would box, and he'd come back home, and his mom would ask him, where has he been? Because he looked like he'd been a little bit roughed up, and he was a bit of swelling in the cheeks. So he had to say, well, I was in the boxing booth. And he would tell the story that his mom gave him more, a, a worse hiding <laughs> for having been boxing in the boxing booth than the guys in the thing, in the booth there. So... Um, it's an interesting story. So um, the other thing I thought was quite interesting from a, a boxing standpoint is Sandy would say at the time is that you scored points not for just striking your opponent. You scored points for defense. So if you were a good defender, you could score points, which I think is quite interesting because now it's all, it's all down to aggression, whatever. But in terms of your campaign, I'm going to just leave this poster here for the pub. But uh, aside from the article that the Old Abbey has on their website that the BBC has had on their site this week, the um, Working Class Movement Library, which is based at Jubilee House in Salford, has now the archive of all the frontline stuff, and they have an archive of on the life of Len Johnson. So there's a lot of materials there that if people want to research, uh, it's the Jubilee House is across the street from the art gallery in Salford. So, you know, go down there, check it out, see what they've got. Uh, they've got a lot of interesting uh, materials about Manchester history. And if you can, f if we can find the uh, the play uh, from Frontline, you can get that at uh, North at the Central Reference Library. So, uh, here's to Lynn. Now, I'm going to be bold um, and ask uh, a young woman at the seated at the back. Would you come? Would you come up and join me? Because you have a story to tell, don't you? My dad is 94, and for the past 10, 15 years, he's been doing a lot of reminiscing, and he's been talking about Len Johnson. He sparred with Len Johnson back in the day, and all I ever got from him was he was tough. He was tough. Now my dad fell in love with Len Johnson's daughter, but. <laughs> And he's never forgotten that was the love of his life. But he married my mother. And he never, he never got over that. I have tried. The first one I heard about Len Johnson, I just I started Googling him and that. 
and then I realised just what kind of a man he was, and I tried to draw it out of my dad, um, you know, the, the political side. But my dad was all, would only say, oh, he was tough, he was tough, and then start going on about Len Johnson's daughter, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I have tried to trace the family, because I know that Carol had a daughter, Maxine. Um, I've never managed to do that. I would have brought him today, but... It's outside and at 94, you know, it wouldn't shut up anyway, so. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's it, yeah. So Len Johnson has sort of been with us in our family for the last 15 years. As I say before that, I didn't know he existed. But I've done a lot of research and he was a remarkable man. I'm just proud that my dad had the opportunity. Actually, my dad never made it as a boxer, but he's now in sheltered housing. And in his 80s, someone was trying to get him and he was punched him <laughs> punched him and that was it it's another one of those follow that moments isn't it <laughs> if that's it um rachel has a poem which she wants to finish with here she is okay uh, she is come on yeah yeah come on so what i want to say is this space is for all of you it's for the community um everyone who works here is an activist they care if you've got any ideas or you want to launch anything, this is the perfect place for it. We can fundraise, we can help you get organised. And where it really came into play was uh, about two years ago, one of my close friends was going to be deported because of Windrush. And what was amazing about the community here was because of the organic network of events that happened, it was so easy for everyone to come together. And within five days, we had a petition. We had 500 people meet at the Naya Mosque. So you may think just coming here for a drink doesn't really mean anything but when it does matter you have all these connections to the people around you and they will there be there for you when you need them and this poem is by a woman called Tina Cribb and her family grew up around the pub um, and on Monday when we didn't know what our fate was I think this pub this poem gave us all hope about what the pub is here for there is hope in the old Abbey Tap House it comes in all shapes sizes characters and guitar cases and groups of smiling faces that they shelter from the world that's turned to chaos is inside out. It's forgotten what humanity is about. But here you can sing, make music, read a poetry, and escape. It gives you enough space to clear your mind with staff who do more than support. They know about injustice and the importance of being kind. I've never known a pub quite like the old Abbey, who opens its big heart to strangers, gives free food when needed, from the top to the center, it holds its bottom-up approach at its epicenter. No one is alone in here. Even that bearded man silently drinking his beer. He feels the warmth. We all feel the vibe. No one forgotten. No one cast aside. I remember walking to the Holy Name School when I was a kid. The big exciting field and that magic pond. But we always smelt the pub nearby, standing on tiptoes, looking in windows to check if anyone left any beer. Cheeky kids and smiling faces. We held no fear. And now the old abbey has reclaimed its past, turned what was once forgotten into a beautiful fo forecast, and all the old ghosts of yesterday's days can rest at ease at last, at last. Fantastic words, including a speech from Manchester boxer Lamentore, who's coming up next to tell us some more about Len's boxing career and the influence that he had on the sport. Len Johnson had an incredible boxing career. Not only was he a fighter in the ring, he was obviously a fighter outside of it. But his boxing achievements can't be overlooked. 
Len had 135 fights, winning 93. He fought all over the world and beat some of the best fighters of his generation, including Ted Kid Lewis, who Mike Tyson once described as one of the greatest fighters of all time. Now, Ted Kid Lewis was a British fighter from London. He was a white man. He had over 200 fights and won around 190, I believe. And like I said, back in 1930s, in the peak of Len's career, he beat Ted Kid Lewis. So Len was a real, real serious boxer. You know, he, his record speaks for itself. 135 fights, 93 wins. It's a phenomenal record and, and, it, and he has to be acknowledged for that amazing record alone. Now, the issue with why he wasn't allowed to box for the British title, it was to do with the British Empire feeling uncomfortable with having a black fighter winning, you know, and beating a white man in the ring and and a public platform. And it was to do with an insecurity and and white supremacy. And the thought of a black man holding a British title was just unfathomable. So that is why Len was never allowed to box for the British title. And that rule didn't come until 1947. So Len retired from boxing in 1933 after a decade-long career. At that point, it was too late. He was demoralised and he was never allowed to box for the British title. Um, The colour bar was introduced in 1911 by Winston Churchill, who was then the Home Secretary. And this was backed by the British Board of Control, who are still obviously active today. Um, Now, I thought it was quite amazing. Yesterday, um, a black man won the British title uh, and he was a middleweight and he would have looked similar to Len. And I just thought, wow, you know, we, you know, it's 2020. If this was 100 years ago, that wouldn't have happened. And for me, that, you know, that shows the era and the times and the struggle that Len had to live through. And he did pave the way for the fighters of today, the famous fighters of today that we know and love. Anthony Joshua, Dillian White, Lennox Lewis, Frank Bruno, Amir Khan. Anyone who is non-white in the sport of boxing who has achieved something and created generational wealth and won multiple titles, world titles, British-level titles. That, to me, is down to to Len Johnson paving the way um, and always fighting up for what he believes in. So he's a remarkable man in and outside the ring. But that's a little bit about Len's boxing career. That was Lamentore on the career of Len Johnson. Coming up next is an interview with activist and Black Lives Matter Manchester co-founder Deej Malik Johnson, as well as some final words in the form of a poem shared at a drink for Len Johnson on October 11th. I'm Deej Malik Johnson. I'm one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter Manchester. I co-founded the um, Len Johnson Memorial Campaign and I've been really like plugging away, trying to get interest and support in having a monument to to Len um, in Manchester. And before I was involved in in the campaign, like I've been an anti-racist campaigner and been um, working around um, liberated education spaces and um, and mental health spaces for all in all probably about 20, 20 odd years just campaigning, plugging away, trying to do my thing. So what do you think we can take from the story of Len Johnson in today's current political climate? There's an idea around like you can be like an anti-racist or you can be like politically engaged but like black liberation politics and working class um like socialist politics are two different things and that's like a lie and that's always been a lie but i think the history of len johnson really speaks on that of like you've got this like mixed race lad in the uh, in the early 20th century really fighting um 
fighting not only anti-racism but fighting like along class lines as well and so like the like these anti-racist politics was completely embedded with his socialist and his communist politics as well um and i think one of the real things about him is that he was somebody who would just get out and do um like it wasn't just i think a lot of the time we can despair at the world we can look we can look at what's around us and think we're either just going to shut it out or we're going to, yeah, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to distract ourselves from the realities that are, of things. And I've always tried not to be like that. And I think that Len story is a real reminder about that. There are a lot of things out there which are try to, especially try to divide the working class either by race grounds or by, or by nationality by sexuality, by gender, by passport. And people like Glenn saw beyond that and saw that was that was part of like the divide and rule of the of an establishment. It's the old quote like none of us are, none of us are free while some of us are in chains. We need to like Len's story is about that. It's about us coming together and, 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 and fighting and organizing together. When men demand the end to um, domestic violence and, and sexual violence towards women, that is really powerful. When straight people de- uh, come out um, in support of the LGBTQ community, when cis people come out for the rights of trans people, that's how we create the world that we need. The life of black people won't get better if only black people care about it. And the life of, the life of anybody doesn't get better if only people who have the same characteristics as you want it. Change only comes when we're acting together. Do you think Len got the recognition he deserved during his lifetime? I think it's quite obvious that he never did. I never heard his story until way later when it was just, I happened to come across a conversation in a pub and it was like, wow, black stories don't get, to- get, don't get told as they should do, especially black British stories don't get told in the way that they should do um, in our media and in our education. But also working class stories don't get told as often and as, as, and, as, and aren't celebrated in the way that they should be in our media and in our education. And our immigrant stories, it's the same. And when you've got a black working class son of an immigrant, I think he was... At that time, he was always going to, always going to fa- face with the, these barriers, and he was never going to get the recognition that he that he deserved at the time. And I think it's our duty, as the people coming along or coming along after, to make sure that posthumously he starts to get that. Yeah, like you know, you you might look, say you go into town, you might see the Emmeline Pankhurst, and mm. we know this story so well of obviously with the women's liberation and right to vote, and. I only found out the story from working in the venue that the protest happened. I guess with that, what could, say, a statue or memorial of Len Johnson represent for Mancunians now and in the future? You know what? I think, above all, there's a sense of place and there's a sense of belonging. Like, there is... Like, Len was... I'll put, I'll put it back. As it is that sense of place and that sense of belonging... But as a mixed race lad from Greater Manchester, it, we were always like I'm the third generation of my father's side of the family to be here. 
Like, I've got this accent, but I never have been truly felt able to call this area home in the way that, like, I can, I can talk about Barbados as home and I can talk about literally the few streets around where I grew up, that's home. But is this, is Manchester home? Is Oldham home? Like, I'm not sure because we're always, I've always seen as like, as an incomer, as an outsider, there is, like, we'll go to around the town centre, like, we go to, my memories of going around, like, Manchester town centre as a teenager, it was great to see lots of, like, pe- people who were, like, of various different, like, heritages around and, like, interacting with each other. But at the same time, it was, there was a lot of police following us, a lot of being, sus- like, the suspicion when I go into shops, and never learning any significant bit of black history other than slavery um and other than generally even like schools which teach and like have a focus on black history month it's it's americans that get we get taught about it's it's martin luther king um it's maybe we'll get harriet tubman uh maybe we'll get rosa parks probably rosa parks more than harriet tubman there might be a mention here and there. If, and if we get somebody who's British, it'll be... We, well, we don't really get people from who, who are British at all, really. And so, like, having, the, having something there which shows us as... We don't really have statues of working-class people at all in, in Manchester. Like, like, Emmeline Pankhurst did some great stuff, but she wasn't, she wasn't working-class we don't have representation of like black Mancunians either. Um, we don't, and like the other part of Len's identity was that he was Irish, like he's through, through, through his mum's side of the family. And Manchester's history has been completely, massively influenced and our political landscape as it was completely changed by the waves of Irish immigration. And again, we don't have anything which shows that publicly either. And I think just one other thing like a lot of our statues celebrate the establishment. And I think was it E.P. Thompson talks quite a lot about this, of like the statues that we have are there to, to reinforce an, like an idea of what we're supposed to aspire to. So we'll have mili- a lot of military statues. We'll have statues to um, kings and queens, like statues of industrialists things like that which we're supposed to aspire to and hold as old as great and if we'd have somebody like Len that teaches a subtle message too of going to be a radical to be a campaigner to be an activist to be a trade unionist that's also something that is valuable and worth uh, and worth aspiring to I think there is a, a is a huge amount to be gained um, by having like monuments to people like Len or to like Olive Morris or any of the other like hundreds of fantastic Mancunians who've who've changed the world. Last up I think it'd be really great if you could maybe like tell people how they can get involved in the campaign for the statue of Len Johnson and also how they can get involved with Black Lives Matter Manchester. 
so for when it comes to the Len Johnson campaign, there is the um, there's the petition which is change.org slash Len Johnson. Um, there is also the Len Johnson Memorial Memorial Campaign Facebook group. The campaigners and I like quite regularly update that with things which are happening. Eventually, we, it's probably going to um, be the place where we like launch like a a just giving campaign to like raise funds for the statue. And when it comes to Black Lives Matter Manchester, again, there is the there's the Facebook page. I would say if people are able to and are so inclined, support the Northern Police Monitoring Project. They're doing like they're they're out there doing the work. You've got the Green and Black Cross, which again support protesters. You've got organizations like Kids of Colour who do amazing work with the young like people of colour in Manchester. There is also other things around Manchester, right? There is the Afro-Caribbean Mental Health Service. The need for things like that is massive. Like the black people are massively overrepresented in uh, mental health services and especially acute mental health services. We are underrepresented when it comes to like frontline basic things. The Afro-Caribbean Mental Health Services has been there for us. Um, And like in 2010, there were over 300 um, black mental health, well, BME mental health services in the UK. There are now less than 12. It's an organisation which just needs support. And so again, putting, if people are able, these are really tough times, but if people are able to chuck them a few quid, that would be massive. Other than that, generally, it's like when you're in your workplaces, like asking what their policies when it comes to race are and making sure that they're, that they're up to scratch. Asking your black colleagues if they're all right, what they need, what is the change that they need to see. And generally, the biggest thing that non-black people can do, whether that's non-black people of colour or whether it be white people, is being there, being a good ally and supporting and believing black people when they say, that this is something that, like, when they say this is something which I'm going through, this is something I've experienced, it's taking, t- taking that seriously and going, I want to do something about that. Thanks so much to Deej Malik Johnson for that wonderful interview and to everyone who's joined in celebrating the incredible life and achievements of Len Johnson. We'll be finishing today's radio special with some closing words in the form of a young lady's poem, which she performed as part of the first commemorative drink to Len Johnson at the old Abbey Tap House. When those officers thought it right to take away another black man's life, they didn't even care to think if you had a family, children or a wife. You say you don't see colour, yet you play with my sister's hair. You'll say I didn't expect her to feel like that, as you mock at her and continue to stare. I asked to play, you spat at me, because of my colour I won't hide. But when they call me a liar, I learned that my teachers I can't confine. If my father drives a car that's much flashier than yours, you think you don't think he worked hard for it, you assume it's from an illegal cause. If I say I don't like it here, you tell me to go back where I'm from. I was born in Cheshire and, and all my cousins are from West Brom. You say that all lives matter, and yes indeed that's true. So why are you so angry when we say our lives matter too? This isn't about making every white person pay for their horrific atrocities of yesterday. We're sharing the injustices and how the light has been misunderstood no matter what the media states we're not out for your blood you call me a lefty or a snowflake 
if I don't like what you say? Did you ever think how degrading it is to hear the rubbish every day? When I want to shout or scream, you call me a racist fool. It's not my fault you, I was hated at school. Did you learn about the Windrush generation brought to the UK to help rebuild our nation? Within moments of the ships reaching the destination, they were repaid with racist hatred and downright degradation. Did they teach you about Certes Karma or his white British wife, Ruth? And how they exiled him from what is now Botswana to stop him from undercovering the truth. To those of you who don't understand why the Colston statue met the fishes, please take some time to educate yourself and from me your best wishes.